Good morning, everybody. I suggest that this service might be one where having a Bible open at the passage might be particularly beneficial. All good things come to an end. All's well that ends well. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, I'm a doctor, but it hasn't worked today, I'm afraid. So, we've reached our next stage in the, our journey through Proverbs, a life to pursue. Our three sermons to date have dealt with the first part of the Proverbs, and today is the first time that we really look at the main collection of the Proverbs of Solomon. But what exactly is a proverb? Proverbs are short, pithy, memorable statements often based upon an, uh, an observation about life, capturing a truth about the way things are meant to work in God's world. They're designed to encourage us to pause and reflect and to understand the insight or principle embedded in the saying and its implications for our own life and experience. We ask, how does this proverb encourage us to make wise decisions in everyday life? What does this tell us? about wise living in the area being spoken about? What pattern does it reflect about the way life tends to work in God's world? What specific actions does it encourage us to adopt or warn us against? Hebrew proverbs are slightly different from English ones. The proverbs here are a form of Hebrew poetry, which is different from English poetry in that it does not depend on lines having a similar meter or sounds, but on similar or contrasting thoughts. Most of the proverbs are written in two lines, the second often progressing the thoughts of the first, either by saying something similar, in which case noting any differences is often key, by highlighting the opposite, or by drawing a comparison. As poetry, it uses concise language, often depending on imagery and communication. Look at verse 30. Light to the messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Eyes, heart, bones, sounds like a medical textbook. Note the other images. Verse 17, vegetables and a fatted calf. Verse 19, a way blocked with thorns, a highway. Verse 25, a house, boundary stones. Jesus didn't speak in poetic language often, although you could make a case for saying that the Beatitudes are an exception. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and so on. Instead of Proverbs, Jesus taught in parables, but often with a similar contrast in the story, like the wise man building his house upon a rock, the foolish man upon the sand. Proverbs would have been part of the bread and butter teaching of young children in their culture to learn what is good in God's eyes and what is folly, to help build up character, to come closer to God. In English, we have lots of proverbs, wise sayings making some general point to the extent that they've been handed down and remembered by others over many years. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. 
A rolling stone gathers no moss. A bad workman always blames his tools. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Sometimes, too, individual proverbs may appear, may appear to be saying something contradictory, but that shouldn't be a new concept to us either. We say, too many cooks spoil the broth, but also many hands make light work. Proverbs make general points about life, but need to be applied with regard to the setting of individual circumstances to which they apply. You need wisdom in applying them, as well as learning from them. Yet, for all Solomon's reputation for wisdom, it doesn't follow that all these proverbs were composed of or thought of by him. They almost read as if they were either his random sayings recorded by scribes or the sayings of his court, Solomon and his sages, each contributing as they thought of them, almost in a random way. Many commentators on Proverbs have tried to deal with this by grouping them into themes, drawing on the different verses throughout the book. However, that's not how they're written. Perhaps we need to see what is the connection underlying the order and so better understand the instruction they give. When I was thinking about this, it reminded me of doing the weekly shopping, eh? My wife, Carol, and I go shopping regularly during lockdown on Fridays. We both go, as we're shopping for Carol's uncle and aunt in their 80s, as well as for ourselves. So it's easier if we shop individually with separate shopping lists. But what's often go frustrating is going through the shopping list looking for all the items. Now, some people are probably good at making up the list according to where the items are in order in the supermarket. Some people are good at knowing where everything will be and manage to navigate their way around the shop in an orderly fashion. But I usually find myself going up this aisle for the potatoes, that aisle for the meat, miles away for the cereals and biscuits, and then back to the beginning for the ready meals, and all made more difficult by the manager deciding to rearrange the shelves for the latest season of special offers. And then I discover that they're out of the one item I'm looking for. I'm all over the place. Okay, I can hear the lady saying, typical man. The shopping list seems, at first sight, completely random. But of course, the list on the shopping list, or the order, is probably determined not by where things are on the shelves in the supermarket, but where things are stored in the cupboards at home. So when you make the list up, you go through all the cupboards and see what's missing or low, adding a few things randomly you remembered you need from during the week, all of which bears no relationship at all to where things are in the shop, but which makes perfect sense in the setting of the kitchen. So perhaps we need to see the connections in Proverbs in the same light. What really links successive Proverbs, even if on the face of it, nothing does? Of course, the other way to look on it is to think what life is like. Random series of events are often typical of much of what we do, if perhaps less so in these times of lockdown. Think of telephone calls. Could be a friend, a relative, the latest fake call from Amazon or BT engineers, someone trying to sell you a new roof or boiler, 
You have an appointment for a COVID vaccination. We have to respond to each apparently random event as it arises. That's life. God is not specifically mentioned in every proverb, but always the underlying wisdom is how God sees the world and how you should behave in it. They tell of what God is like or how he works. They were written to impart general and specific truths for right living in God's world and therefore to build up character and character traits. So let's look at the specific proverbs we have in the passage today. In terms of what they teach about living, there seem to be four main messages. The first is instruction about how we think or having a care for our thoughts. Verse 20, a wise man brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Verse 26, the Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers. Jesus said something similar when he said in Mark 7:15 and 16, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And in verse 20 to 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus also gave the example of Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have said that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we need to have a care about what we think about, what our thoughts turn to, and cultivate the habit of shunning evil thoughts and letting our thoughts turn to God and the Lord and how he would have us think. Spending time reading our Bibles and in prayer helps us with that. The second general message is about how we speak, related in part to what we've just said. Verse 23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. The Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but gracious words are pure in his sight. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Not only do we need to have a care for our thoughts, but also for our words. In a modern proverb, think before you speak. Or, as in many of the earlier examples, weigh your thoughts before you say something out of place. No one but God knows your thoughts, but you give away your character to everyone by how you speak to them. Cultivate good thoughts and words. We should always be careful how we speak to each other and not give offence deliberately, nor, if we can, by mistake. Proverbs also teaches us about how we behave and act. Verse 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. 
Verse 19, the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Verse 25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Verse 27, the greedy bring ruin to their households, but the ones who hate bribes will live. So how you behave and act tells people about your character, your values. Acting in an upright way with compassion and love says it all. We should endeavour to build up our relationships with others, to help them, to love them. As Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And also, as we say, actions speak louder than words. So our behavior, our actions, show our character and how like our Savior we have become. George used the brilliant example of refining silver a few weeks ago, refined until all the impurities are out, refined until the refiner could see their own face in the silver. How much have we become like Jesus? How far have we to go? As C.S. Lewis said in the last battle in Narnia, onwards and upwards. Last week, Gordon talked about wisdom and folly, a further theme in our reading today. The fourth message today is to learn wisdom, to actively seek to learn from words, from experience, from other people. Verse 21 Folly brings joy to one who has no sense, but whoever has understanding keeps a straight course. Verse 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Verse 24, the path of life leads upward for the prudent to keep them from going down to the realm of the dead. And verses 31 to 33, Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honour. It's easy to be proud, to think, at least to yourself, that you know it all, but being humble enough to realize that we can never know enough, we can never fully comprehend God and his majesty, that we always have a lot to learn. Take self-awareness, self-assessment, self-appraisal of a depth we sometimes don't wish to do. But it's essential to building up character, to recognizing when we don't get it right, when we have to ask forgiveness from someone else and from God. The other value of these proverbs is to point to traits to be avoided. Hatred, hot temper, laziness, foolishness or folly, pride, wickedness, greed. Can we learn to control these? Can we replace them with calm and be a peacemaker, with diligence, with wisdom, with humility, with righteousness, with generosity? 
How would Jesus want us to behave? Proverbs are designed to cultivate character in the whole of life. The open-ended nature of proverbial sayings requires us to think about where and when they might be applicable, and then calls us to act accordingly. Reading and reflecting on Proverbs is not simply about changing isolated incidents of behaviour here and there, but encouraging attitudes that over time become habits which change our character. The final point I would make about today's passage is something that, interestingly, Gordon highlighted both last week and earlier. Last week he commented on chapter 9, verse 10, one of the better known of the Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord comes into today's passage twice as well as bookends. At the start in verse 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. And then at the end, verse 33, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honour. We also read in the first of the series, in Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. But what is the fear of the Lord? It's not fear as in terror, dread, horror, or panic, but more awe and reverence. I sometimes feel it's something we overlook or play down in worship in how we see, perceive our God. After all, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus starts, our Father in heaven, not Almighty God, great God. It's almost, almost, as if Jesus is trying to bring God's worship down to our level in calling him Father. But I hope that at least at some stage in your early life, you might have thought of your father and mother with a degree of awe and reverence, recognizing that they knew so much more than you did and had a life's knowledge and experience to call on. So do we acknowledge God's place as the creator of the universe, the earth, the sky, the sea, and everything in them as all powerful? Do we think of him as almighty? God truly is incredible. We get something of the majesty, the greatness, the power of God in some of our songs and hymns, like, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, immortal, invisible, God only wise, or even, our God is a great big God. Even in the Lord's Prayer, which we say, there was a later addition of the final words, perhaps in recognition of this, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. So our reading from Proverbs today tells us how we have to think, to speak, to behave, to learn. We have to fear the Lord and seek his ways. We have to build up the character of Christ within us. We want to do our best for him, to be our best for him. It's not something that comes to us by waiting for it to happen, as if it will fall on us one fine day without us doing anything about it. You don't learn a new sport by sitting on the sidelines, but by taking part, by getting stuck in, by coaching and mentoring. No, 
Heeding the message of Proverbs means building ourselves up in wisdom from day to day by Bible reading and prayer, by learning from life and other people, by learning from the example of Jesus. We don't simply wait for it to happen. We must go after it actively, for it's a life to pursue. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let us pray. Teach us, good Lord, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward, except that of knowing that we do your will. O Lord, help us to heed the message of Proverbs, to build ourselves up as you would have us, to earnestly strive to become more like you, more patient, more compassionate, more loving, more concerned to bring new disciples to you, more concerned for your wishes than our own. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.